Today's reading can be found in Romans chapter 12 on page 1139 and it may or may not be on the screen. There it is. It's on the screen. And we're starting to read Romans 12 from, from verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, And these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts, according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. Good evening, and thank you, Tony, for reading for us. Please do keep your Bibles open uh, there at Romans 12. We're going to be looking at verses 3 to 8 um, in our series. But in order to look at uh, verses 3 to 8, we need to bear in mind the context of verses 1 and 2, and actually the whole context of chapters 1 to 11. But of course, we haven't got that much time to look at that. But simply to say this, right up front, if God has saved us. God has saved us by grace, and therefore it is a gift, not by the work or by our efforts. Um, He saved us from sin and death um, through Jesus Christ dying on the cross. And, And we need to say that first. We need to have that in place first before we start talking about how we serve. And that's why Paul starts with verse 3, when he's talking about serving, for by the grace given me. And then he moves on to show us how we can serve in that grace. Uh, For by the grace of God given me, I say to every one of you. And as we begin, we are thinking about that every one of you, how important that is. Every single one of us has something to give, not singling out individuals or groups. Every one of you. We're all called to serve, not just for the really keen amongst us, not just for the staff, 
um, that we have here at St. John's, not just for the retired or for those who have a lot of time on their hands, but if you belong to St. John's, if you've been saved by the grace of God, if you know that grace, then you're called to serve. How are you going to serve? How are you going to serve? Let's pray. God, our Father, as we come to this text, we pray, Father, that you really speak to us about how we can serve and the, the right attitude we should have when we're serving. Please, Father, um, help us by your Spirit. May he lead us and teach us this morning, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've got three main um, headings for us to uh, bear in mind, and they all begin with P. How wonderful is that to help us? Thank you. There's a woo over there somewhere. Um, There's the plea, there is the picture, and there is the purpose. There you are. I'm trying to help you. The plea, the picture, the purpose. Uh, So first of all, the the plea. It's there in verse 3. Look at it. Verse 3, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. So the first plea that, that Paul is making here is for humility in service. Humility. He's saying, for goodness sake, don't get stuck on yourself. You see, we're, we're all given to exaggeration, aren't we? We're, whether it's the, the boy who says, I, I caught a fish this big. You know that? Or whether it's the... the the CV that we write that slightly embellishes how well we've done. We're all given to exaggeration. And when it comes to the giftedness to serve, we're in the greatest danger to think more highly of ourselves. And that's why we need that constant recall to God's grace. That's why we began there. Gifts are gifts, aren't they? Right? And shouldn't be the source of kind of spiritual pride. And so the exercise of spiritual gifts that is divorced from that kind of genuine humility, is actually becomes a very horrible and becomes a very destructive thing. Imagine um, for a moment taking a group of people together who fancy themselves um, to become the, the next London Philharmonic Orchestra. And so they all show up with their violins, their cellos, their banjos. No, there's not banjos. It's the trumpets. <laughs> I don't really know about orchestras. Flutes, um, all their instruments. And they all start going, oh, look at me, look at me, me, me. I, I, I can lead this orchestra with the trombone. You know, a great instrument to lead any band or orchestra. The trom- I can do it. I think the trombone should lead and have the prominent role. <laughs> be great, wouldn't it? No, it wouldn't be great. It would be awful. It would all go wrong. And you see, the giftedness has to come under the headship of the conductor, under the, the parameters of the score, the piece of music, or else it's just going to sound awful. Each part has, a, has to play and has to be set within the parts of everybody else. So that's first That's Paul's first part of the plea is to humility. But there's a second part to the plea in verse 3. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment. With sober judgment. So the answer to self-exaggeration is not to go to the opposite extreme, to self-loathing, as if, 
I've got nothing to give. I'm sort of self-loathing and self I'm useless. I, I can't contribute. It's not to go to that other end. It's instead to have sober judgment. What does that mean? Well, it's to see yourself as God sees you. To think rightly about yourself. To know that your identity is in not in what you do, but who you are in Christ. He has saved you by grace. It's a, it's a gift. He's made you, what, sons and daughters of the living God. You are heirs of the living God. And you've been gifted to serve the church. That is the right view. The church is not some sort of communism, the kind of obliteration of giftedness and individuality. There's huge diversity in us, socially, ethnically, culturally, And when we come together in the context of the gospel and the good news of Jesus, when we focus on God's mercy, then the gifts, well, they're just gifts, aren't they? They lose their allure in terms of our identity. It's not who we are. Uh, I'll let you into a a little secret. Um, One of the things I dislike the most is when people call me vicar. Um, So there you are. If you've done it, you now know. I much prefer you just call me Eddie. Um, Because my identity is not in my function. Yes, I am called to be vicar and minister the word to you. But I am just Eddie. My identity is in Christ. And woe betide anyone who calls Mrs. Vicar, Mrs. Vicar. (laughs) So you have been warned. (laughs) You know, who are any of us? We're we're children of God. I'm a saved sinner by the grace of God, um, by the blood of Jesus. I think um, the the hymn, the the great hymn that shows this so marvelously, this sober judgment, is If I Were a Butterfly. You know that hymn, don't you? If I Were a Butterfly, I thank you, Lord, for giving me wings. And if I were a robin in a tree, I'd thank you, Lord, that I could sing. And if I were a fish in the sea, I'd wiggle my tail and I'd giggle with glee. But I thank you, Father, for making me me. You can join in if you like. (laughs) For he gave me a what? Heart. And he gave me a smile. He gave me Jesus. And And he made me a child. And I just thank you, Lord, for making me me. That's it. What brilliant theology. Sober judgment right there, isn't it? The sober judgment. Getting a right view of yourself means that you're able to serve. So there's the plea to humility and sober judgment. But next, um, Paul gives us the picture of the body. Um, The picture, of course, is not unique um, to Romans. It's elsewhere in Scripture. It's a picture that's really easy for us to understand because we all have bodies with different parts that function together. We all get it. Verse 4, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. The effectiveness of the body is directly related to being in Christ. Did you see those words, in Christ, as in Christ, right in the middle there of that verse? 
in order to work effectively. Not only are we connected to Christ, we're in Christ, but we are connected to each other. Did you notice the phrase at the end of that verse? Each member belongs to all the others. You, you belong to each other. That's quite a powerful thing to say, isn't it? That means that we need each other. We really need each other. We not only gather um, like this to receive, um, to de- but we've gathered to, to serve each other, and we need to serve one another and depend on each other. We belong to one another. We belong to St. John's means that I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. That's what we had last week, didn't we, in the all-age service, if you were here. And the body is such a good picture for this because we all need each other to function well. We're all called into relationship. And so if someone is, put it this way, if somebody's absent or, or leaves for, for whatever reason or isn't around much, then what happens? The, the body actually suffers, doesn't it? The body suffers. It becomes diminished. And actually, it can be quite painful if that happens. It can really hurt. Because it's like ripping that part of the body out. The idea that the church is some sort of club or place to use from time to time, like a gym, is not the picture Paul paints here of the church. The body is intimate. When I show up here... It's not simply to attend. It's not just simply here for me to, to teach and to, to preach. Yes, he's asked me to, to do that task. But I'm here because you are my friends. You are my family. You are my in relationship with me, in Christ. And therefore, there's a sense that we don't like to be separated from each other, any more than the liver would like to be separated from the stomach. That's the picture of the body. It's an intimate picture. We need each other to function well. So that's the the picture. Finally, there's the, the purpose here. The purpose, the body has gifts. Verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given each of us. Now, Paul lists here seven um, gifts. There are other lists in the Bible. In in 1 Corinthians 12, you can find there's nine listed. In Ephesians, you can find there's... In Ephesians 4, you can find there's four or five, depending on uh, how you see the text. Um, The point is, though, these different lists, is that they are selective. They're not exhaustive. They're not giving us all the gifts that there are. It's important to say that right away, because as we had that read, as Tony read it, we might sit there and think, oh, I don't think any of these really fit me, and I'm not in one of these. But that's not the point. They're illustrative. These are some of the gifts that we, you have. So the main point is simple. Whatever the gift is, it's given for a purpose, and that purpose is the well-being of the body. It's for the body, for the whole church. It's not for display, it's not for personal gain, it's not for the advancement of a specific cause, but bringing unity, harmony to God's people so that they may grow and be built up. 
as a community of faith. That's the purpose. They're not toys to be played with. They are to be found not so much in the toy box, but in the tool box. And they're given to the church to be exercised carefully so the church might be built up and grown. So let's look very, very briefly at the list here that that Paul has given. And they're in two broad groups. There's uh, speaking um, gifts here and there are serving gifts. And verse 6 begins perhaps with the most uh, uh, difficult one for us to get our heads around. Verse 6, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith or, as you see in the footnote, or the faith. Now, it's hard to know exactly what Paul means here by prophesying, but it's to do with conveying spiritual truth from God for the benefit of the whole church. Now, we need to be clear that this gift is different from Old Testament prophecy. Because when the prophets in the Old Testament spoke, it was as if God was speaking himself. You know how you get in the Old Testament, thus says the Lord. The Lord has spoken. The equivalent of the new, in the New Testament, prophets are the apostles. The apostles are the ones who gives us the command of what the Lord Jesus said. Paul is an apostle. And he tells the uh, Corinthian church that their prophecies in chapter 14 have to be weighed and tested before they were accepted. So when we weigh prophetic insight, we're not just simply saying, does it seem right to us? or Does it seem reasonable? We actually should be saying, does it sound consistent with the Bible? Does it sound consistent with the prophets and the apostles? And that makes sense of what Paul is saying here um, when he says, in accordance with your faith, or as the footnote says, in accordance with the faith. In other words, nobody's able to advise something as coming from God, as being revelatory, unless that is clearly found in agreement with the faith. There's lots more we could say about it. We've got six others to look at briefly. Verse 7. If it is serving, then serve. This seems so much more straightforward, doesn't it? But at the same time, the very straightforwardness in what Paul states, um, in fact, in all of these, contains, I think, the very inherent warning in them. If it is serving, then serve. Get on with serving. The warning goes, I think, like this. If If you're going to serve, just serve. It's as if he's implying, you know, don't go around blowing your own trumpet, telling, or your own trombone, uh, (laughs) telling people how many rotors that you're on and how much you're doing. Just, just serve. Just do it. Don't serve to be noticed or to feel good about yourself. Just serve. Next, if it is teaching, then teach. Same thing again. If your gift is teaching, then get on with it. The purpose of teaching is so that we can learn. It's not so much because it brings us fulfillment. It's not so much because um, I enjoy teaching or that people come up to you and say, oh, that was a really good piece of teaching. What a wonderful teacher you are. The purpose of teaching is so that we 
as the people, as the church learn together. Of course it will bring joy and it will bring uh, other benefits. But it's to build up the body. In the same way, encouraging Gift number four, if it is to encourage, then give encouragement. Now, in some translation, it's um, exhortation um, is the word for encouragement, to exhort. Which I think, in a sense, gives a much more um, sense of the pressing home of the implications of the gospel on people's lives. It's the kind of urging encouragement to people to respond to God's calling. Perhaps it's a, a good way of understanding is to see it, the encourager as somebody who, who is addressing our wills and our hearts and our, our emotions to actions, to live it out. Um, let me try and give you an illustration, seeing as it's the, the last day of uh, signing up for the weekend away. Say a trip to High Lee um, for the weekend away. I could give you the route Here's the map, which is necessary. It's about 35 miles away. We need to go down through the Blackwall Tunnel. We take the A12 to the M25. We go west on the M25, and then we head north to, uh, and come off at Hoddesdon, and it's just there on the right. It will take us about an hour or two, <laughs> three maybe. But there you are. But if I'm an encourager, I go more like, let's go to High Lee. <laughs> it's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. You should be there. You're going to miss out if you don't go. The speaker will be inspiring and challenging and great. You don't want to miss it. It could change your life. Come with me. I will come with you. If you can't afford it, I'll pay for you. You need to be there. Come with me. Do you get the difference? An encourager is somebody who applies the implication of God's words, usually the urgency, the necessity of it, to go for it. Uh, verse 8, um, if it is giving, then give generously. It's the same point again. If God has given you resources to build up the body, then use those resources. Give generously. But don't do it to be seen. Don't do it to be gaining influence. You know, I'm aware of churches, not St. John's, where everybody knows who the big giver is and the big givers in the church. And everybody knows um, how they use that to influence what goes on in the church and, to, and effectively running the church. You know, I make it my purpose here. I want to say that I make it my absolute purpose never to know who gives and who gives what. I have no idea uh, who does that. And to be quite honest, I have no idea about figures anyway. (laughs) So I wouldn't be able to understand it anyway. (laughs) Remember, your wealth has come from God. It's It's a gift from God for the well-being of others. God's given people at St. John's, the ability to give. Is that your gift? Sixth, gift. If it is to lead, do it diligently. Paul has lots to say about um, leading in, in the, his letters to Timothy. You can read those about leadership where he gives instructions. 
But it's worth remembering, isn't it, that leading is serving in the Bible. Leading is serving. I mean, let's say, for example, if we go through to the fellowship room afterwards, and it's tea and coffee everywhere, there's been a riot, something has happened, and it's just a total mess. Well, it won't take long, will it, before before a leader will emerge. How will that leader emerge? Well, some will step forward and say, come on, let's pick it up, let's gather it together, let's put some more coffee on and, and tea on. And what will they do is that they will start to do it, and others will follow. So the person serves by leading. Of course, Jesus Christ is the perfect example of a servant leader, someone who stepped forward and leads by example. Do you have that gift? Finally, seventh, if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Do it cheerfully. Now, I'm sure many of you, and I know many of you, are involved in acts of mercy, Um, uh, whether it's with family members who are are ill or at home or or the elderly, or whether it's in within the community. And the thing about that kind of ministry, uh, that kind of gift of mercy, is that it's hard. I know how hard it can be. I've seen it day in, day out, doing the same care and mercy towards people. And, of course, the danger of that day in, day out is that you can become embittened in that. You can become quite grudging about it. You start to sort of see it in a kind of minimal fashion. I've just got a routine to get through it. And it's not easy to keep going in showing mercy as a, as a gift. And that's why Paul so, so effectively puts his finger on it, on the by adding, do it cheerfully. Because it's really difficult to do it cheerfully. And you say, well, why isn't it enough just to do it? Why do I have to do it cheerfully? You know, I can't just just do it well. But I have to do it cheerfully. Why do you have to do it cheerfully? Well, it's because it gives the one who you're showing mercy to the person who is sick, the person who is ill, the person who is infirm. It gives that person inherent dignity to know that you're doing it joyfully. You're doing it not in a way that is grudgingly or embittered, but you're doing it because you care for them. You value that person. You don't despise them or seem worthless because that has an effect on the person that you're showing mercy to. Our gifts are gifts. Sorry, it's been a bit of a gallop through some of them. Let's remember the plea that God has given us, the plea to humility, to use them with humility in sober judgment. Notice the, the picture, the body, that we're doing it because we're together for each other and the purpose is for the benefit of that body. They are various And we need that diversity that God provides so that we might become and be that church that God has called us to. Shall we just spend a moment in quiet and I'll lead us in prayer.
For some of us, uh, we may be serving in all kinds of ways, and for others, we may not be um, serving at all. Um, and so let us bring our, our thoughts to the Lord now, our prayers. Father God, you have called us to serve when we're, when we're in Christ, when we've come to know you by grace. You have called us to serve. Please um, show us the ways in which we can serve, whether it be big or small. We pray, Father, that you will show us the different ways in which we can be a body. And Father, if there are are ways in which we uh, should stop serving because it's become a a grudge or whether it's become because we're doing it for show. Father, please show us and help us to serve with that humility and that sober judgment. And Father, we just pray this would be to the growth of your church for the well-being of all. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.